Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another week of the Liberty B-Side Podcast. My name is Steve King, and alongside me is not Matt Loyan, it's Greg Kabakshian. Greg, welcome to the Liberty B-Side Podcast. It's good to be here. Is it? Yeah, I think so. All right, that's great. It's a good thing to say. That's nice. Um, Hey, you're you're sitting in today. Matt's not here. Matt preached yesterday, but he's out of town. We call you in. You're a great arm to bring out of the bullpen. Excited that you're here. And it's just the two of us today. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Let's do it. Okay. So Matt's out of town. Yesterday was preaching on uh, 1 Kings 18 into 19. We're continuing our series in 1 and 2 Kings. Um, And... Matt, uh, Matt, not being here, we'll do kind of the review for him, and certainly maybe we can kind of couple this and do it together, Greg, so certainly jump in. He had some uh, talking through uh, the running metaphor, right? Three running. So there's the running ahead of Ahab, there's the running away from Jezebel, and there's the running after Elisha. Maybe let's just do that real quick. We always like to do the 90 seconds here of a summary if you weren't listening to the sermon or hadn't heard it yesterday. So the running ahead of Ahab... Happens in First Kings 18. This is after uh, the miracle um, of God throwing fire down from heaven. And now the rain is coming. Looking off in the distance, see the cloud forming, the rain coming. Elijah telling Ahab, hey, you better get in your chariot, get home so you're not stuck in the storm. He then has this miraculous experience himself of uh, running ahead of the chariot as it was going beating Ahab back to the palace himself. That's the running ahead. The running away was from Jezebel. So Jezebel back at the palace, still uh, learning actually that the 450 prophets of Baal, her prophets are defeated and destroyed, becomes furious and of course wants to uh, to kill Elijah as a result um, in her fury and in her anger. And so Elijah finds himself running away from Jezebel and then running after Elisha, the third running uh, motif here, which is running after Elisha to anoint him as the prophet that will take over for him when he is uh, done with his ministry, as God would decide. So that's kind of the, the quick summary of those runnings without getting too deep into them. But Greg, your your reaction to or your thoughts as it relates to those three sections. They were great. I loved it. I loved the... Uh... The running ahead of Ahab, that was probably my favorite part of the sermon where he was like, you know, not only it, it does my God win the God contest, but um, I'm faster than you too. I and mean, I'm faster than you too. And Matt said it well yesterday, like, what? what's the point of that? Like, why does that happen in scripture? And Matt said yesterday, it's it, it at the very least, right, it's this supernatural empowerment to show God's complete, I think he said complete dominance over Baal and Ahab. So... Um, there's a lesson for Ahab too here, but there's a lesson for anybody that would see it. But certainly, our God is so powerful. There's nothing that has you have just seen, nor will you now do, that comes close to what God can do. And he can even empower me miraculously to beat you back from the storm that's coming. Right? Just to draw more awe from Ahab and others at the power of God. I was even thinking this morning, there's like this contrast between Yahweh and Baal again and again throughout this whole narrative, back all the way to Mount Carmel, like the, you know, that, that delicious sounding mountain, to um, 
so like Baal was the god of fire and like of nature. Yes, and right. so first Yahweh beats him at his own game, then he shows that he's faster than him. And then like in this section where um, you know, the fire comes, but he's not in the fire, and then a wind, and he's not in the wind, an earthquake, he's not in the earthquake. It's like he even shows he goes above and beyond Baal. He's not like Baal and that he reveals himself through fire only, ultimately. But he is greater than Baal in that he reveals himself through his word, a yeah. whisper, a gentle word yeah. spoken to a prophet. And so he's, even his in terms of his revelation, he's greater than Baal. Yeah. Which is just, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So then the running away, anyone added the running away? This is, from, this is from Jezebel. He runs hundreds of miles away as a result. Anyone add there? Was that like running from Philadelphia far. to like... Pittsburgh, Raleigh. Raleigh. You went south. I went northwest. I think it's even further. I think it's almost 200 miles. From where to where? Philly to Raleigh. From Philly to Raleigh. Yeah. 200 miles. He ran a long way. (laughs) It's a long way. He went a long way. Okay. True. Okay. Um, And then the running running after Elisha. Anything you want to add to that one? We're not doing the full deep dive recap here, but anything that kind of stuck out to you? Matt's not here. We get to say whatever we it, want. It stuck out to me okay. how quickly Elisha responded to the call. Hmm. Okay. How like yep. ultimately he did just burn bridges with his entire way of life with his family. We're gonna it's get done. there in a moment with a question. Yeah. Okay. And then it really stuck out to me how like lowly the thing that God called him to. Right. At the end of the chapter, just he arose and went after Elijah and served him and yeah. assisted him. It's not like God called him to this like grandiose ministry yet. It's just he just was called to be a servant, and still he like left everything he had and went as a servant. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, we had um, we had some questions come in, two questions. So let's get to them. Here's the first one. A question about Elisha's actions in sacrificing the oxen. I understand your point that this action showed that Elisha wasn't going back. Um, he was fully committed to follow Elijah and be God's prophet. Do we know why, however, he didn't leave the yoke and oxen so that people who he left behind could use them to work the ground and eat? Um, was this sacrifice a prescribed ritual? So let's, we can each jump in on there, but I'll give you the first, I'll give you the first go. Anything you want to say to that? I think that no matter what we say, we can't say that like Elisha was depriving his family or his friends in some major way. Sure. Like people weren't going to die or starve to death because they didn't have these oxen. Um, so it wasn't a great evil he was doing by doing this. Sure. Or the most, yeah. probably an inconvenience. Sure. Yeah. So there's, I mean, it's a good question, right? It's, a it's like, question. wait a second. We could use those 24 oxen. Yeah, um, <laughs> we just bought that. You know, yeah, this you know, is brand new farm equipment. That's right. Come on. What are we doing? Um, I think Matt said yesterday, his family obviously is well off enough to have this. Um, and if well enough to have this, I'm probably safely assume they have more. Um, there seems to be something of a something of a miss um, that we couldn't just leave it there. But I would say um, the, the, whatever it was as a demonstration to his commitment to follow God's call overrode anything that would be considered an inconvenience for his family. Right. All right, and so um, certainly it's it's. I don't know if we do see in the New Testament uh, Christ calling people away from their work, even fishermen, right? I'll make you fishers of men. And so the disciples leave their nets. Yep. Um, now, they didn't tear their nets. They didn't burn their nets. Right? But they left their nets. 
um, maybe others scooped up and started using them, right? But there is this call that God gives to us at times to depart from what we're doing to follow him that shows up um, just, I mean, truly and, and completely in a way that someone would leave a previous occupation and their and its equipment to follow. It's always the call of God for us to leave our sin, to leave our old nature mm-hmm. when we go to follow Christ. And so, um, yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting thought to go. It, it's not a prescribed ritual. I didn't, I don't right. see anywhere being a prescribed ritual that Elisha did. Um, there wasn't, uh, even when he's burning, when he's burning the wood of the yoke, he's not doing something in a way that is an offering or a sacrifice. It's just, it's a complete commitment to follow God in the call. Yeah. And definitely symbolic. Like you'd have to imagine there was other wood around that he could have burned. Sure. That's right. He decides to burn the yoke intentionally to say there there is nothing standing in between me and my commitment to God's call. Right. Which is like, and sometimes, uh, you know, following God's call requires extravagant displays of commitment. Like here with Elisha or Again, in the New Testament, with a broken bottle of perfume. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, there's one other piece there, which is the I've I've maybe just read one or two commentators a point saying it's not when he asked to go kiss his mother and father. It's not like a hesitation. It's actually like it, that is um, uh, it's an honoring of his parents to go do that. And there's a little bit of a juxtaposition. Um, not not my idea. Just reading it in commentary, going like, yeah, that's 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 a helpful picture of just as the people who were rebelling against God would kiss the idol of Baal to show that they were following Baal, Elisha goes and honors his parents with a kiss to show that he is leaving to go follow God's call, right? There's, I mean, it's juxtaposition in, you know, two, two of this kind of the same thing in opposite directions, one a rebellion and one an allegiance, uh, which is, which is That's a good. good piece in that story. All right, here's the next question. And so just two questions. So maybe this will be our last question. We could kind of stay on this one here for a moment. So regarding self-pity. So this was Matt um, in talking about Elijah when he runs away from Jezebel um, and he starts to wrestle with self-pity. Um, he starts to recognize that the the what he thought was the uh, final blow or the winning blow of the, the war against Baal uh, didn't prove to be so, that he actually would return to the palace and Jezebel still may have the power and authority to put him to death. And now he's running in fear um, and probably with some wisdom too, running to protect himself. But, you know, starting to wrestle with this self-pity. And so even as he's in hiding and God comes and addresses him and, is, and he really responds to God with, with kind of a discouragement, a discontentment that um, Matt is saying is this self-pity. So regarding self-pity, when is acceptance of our circumstances, asked this questioner, a good thing that can help us deal more honestly with ourselves, with God and with others, with regard to what we're experiencing and the freedom that comes in each of these relationships as a result, right? So essentially, what's the differentiation between when it's appropriate to be in lament versus when is that self-pity? And what's the what's the fruit that comes from either of those two things, and how should we how should we think about that? Essentially, not everything that is lament is self pity, and not everything that's self pity is lament. How do we do, how do we distinguish between the two of them? That's a good question. Let me let me just say this, and you you respond. Yeah, because I'm not even sure about it. But 
how do you think about this? Is self-pity is always a response not to actual reality, but to how we've overinflated ourselves in our own minds. Hmm. So it's always, whenever we feel self-pity, it's always a distortion of how important we are, of how bad our circumstances are. So genuine lament is good because it matches reality and matches our actual circumstances. Yeah. But when our pity rises above our actual <laughs> circumstances, um, it, either in terms of intensity or the length at which we feel it, mm-hmm. then it becomes self-pity and then it's a, a bad thing and we've crossed over that line. But when our emotions are, you know, they're, they're fitting responses both in terms of intensity and duration to our reality and our situation, then that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've... I've you know, some good thoughts. I've I've distinguished, I think it'd be distinct, helpful to distinguish lament as being something that's done before God. Mm. And so in like our sorrow, our pain, our confusion, um, our anger, our bitterness, our discouragement, like all these things we're going to experience. I even say, man, as encouragement, anyone listening and even just telling myself, like we're going to experience those things. Yeah. Nothing of being a Christian is, and so when we say things, um, if there's anyone out there that says, hey, becoming a Christian solves all your problems, we say, well, no, that's not true. And so that's 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 good. It's true it's not true. How is it not true? Well, one of the ways it's not true is that you're you're still going to wrestle and experience discouragement, discontentment, anger, bitterness. And I, I mean even sometimes anger, bitterness, bitterness toward God. Why is this circumstance in my life this way? Why is this prayer that I have going unanswered? Why is this desire I have for my life or someone else's not going the way I'd like it to go? And anytime that that lament, which encompasses all those emotions, is done before God, it can be a really good thing. Yeah. And when it's not done before God, it is it probably is more prone to turn into the self-pitying or wallowing. Uh, <laughs> uh, where we're only just, where we're actually, we're like, we're not inviting God to be part of it. Hmm. And if we're not inviting God to be part of it, then we're just, we're actually, maybe that's why it's self-pity. It's like, we're only, we're looking at our own problems and then for at our own solutions. Yeah. And we're, we're like, it's just this constant navel gazing, you know, it's this constant looking in the mirror for our own answers, knowing that they're not there, but still looking there for them. Right. And the self-pity is something that is probably isolating. Um, if Elijah was experiencing self-pity, there's an isolation that he's embracing by being in hiding. And for someone to, uh, to wrestle well with discouragement and discontentment or to come out of self-pity, it's to remove themselves from isolation at the very least, stand and sit before God with those emotions. And praise God, I think he wants them from us. We see that in scripture throughout the Psalms, throughout plenty of other... T- you know, uh, stories yeah. in the Old Testament and the New where God desires for us to come to him with all of these things, even when it's right. directed at him. Right. Like if you break down the Psalms into genres <clears throat> like of lament and thanksgiving and magisterial Psalms, the the most Psalms <clears throat> in, in the most, the, the biggest category of genre of Psalms is lament. Yeah. Out of all of them. Yeah. Out of 150 psalms, the greatest genre is lament. This is something that I think we should be doing often. Yeah. I was talking with the the person who asked this question beforehand. 
Um, and I, I can't, I, I just know we're not on this, in this moment going to really get plumb the depth of the question really well. Because ultimately it's the question that's best answered with all of us in community with each other, right? There's, this is not the, um, this is not a, a theological uh, clarity needed on like, you know, maybe that last question was, hey, was that a sacrifice? Was that prescribed as a ritual? No, it's a yes or no answer. This is more of a question that's like continues to be un, unfolded with each other in relationship. Um, but the, I was talking with this person and some, just some, some good um, thoughts about where, when we sit with discouragement and discontentment well. So there's the question, like when our acceptance of our circumstances, when are they a good thing? And they can be a good thing when uh, they lead us to um, not look internal, but actually accept circumstances and then as re- then respond to them. Responding in such a way as what is God teaching me now as a result of what I'm seeing? So since I'm not isolated, I'm going to open myself up to look at where God is, is at this, bring this to him or another person, a brother or sister in Christ that's going to help me through my, my discouragement. They can be someone who can care for me as I just, man, as I cry or weep or yell about what I'm frustrated about. Now I get to actually learn more about what God's doing in the midst of this yeah. discouragement, this discontentment, this suffering. Um, I get to wrestle with it more. I get to build more vulnerability with someone. I get to build some more trust with them. They get to, on the other side of care, inform the way in which I'm experiencing this. Right? So that's, um, me. it's like, Greg, when am I asking you for care? When eventually you get to respond with care to me. Right? So sometimes like, Hey Greg, can you just like, Hey, in care, can you just listen when I'm frustrated. And you're like, as a mature, loving brother, you're like, sure, I will listen to you. And if I go ahead and just complain about all my circumstances and go, great, Greg, I got what I wanted. I got it off my chest. It's like, well, you're like, well, no, Steve, that was just, that was just you complaining. Can I actually now encourage you or consult or counsel you or help, help you grow in perspective here? And then that's, uh, I'm making it sound a little, you know, a little bit more um, easier than it really is, right? It's not just transaction, transactional that way. Um, but I do think there's a lot that comes from accepting our circumstances and the freedom that comes from that, as opposed to avoiding our circumstances and acting like everything's all, all, all the is okay all the time. Right. Do you see that? Have you see have, have you experienced that? Where have you in your life felt inclined to not face circumstances for yourself or for others, and and get out of discouragement by just whistling through it yeah so well a whole bunch of places right because life is super hard and this happens all the time but like maybe four years ago my dog was playing outside and i heard a crash and i ran outside my dog was laying in the road and got hit by a car and uh that was super hard for me like i was super close with my dog we hiked together every day and so the dog was still alive and like, um, we took it to the vet and like trying to keep her alive. And so there's this like bargaining that you do with reality and with God and the anger and all the, the grief and kind of emotions that go along with it. And for me, accepting the circumstances never meant being okay with what happened. 
because, like, I think that kind of thing, like, death in general, but especially death of a human being, like, you know, my dog is just a dog, um, was never meant to be a part of this world. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I was never meant to be okay with certain circumstances. God's not okay with certain circumstances. But accepting it means that I recognize it as true, that it happened in this sin-soaked world, and that someday God is going to make a world, remake this one, into a world where that kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. And so um, bringing that grief before God and recognizing it as true, which is what it meant for me to accept it. Mm-hmm. You know, Not being okay, not being happy even, but just recognizing it as true, putting my hope in the gospel, and saying someday there will be a world where... You know, dogs don't get hit by cars. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, there is something. So Matt, this was a little bit of the, this obviously part of the sermon yesterday. Not just a God. Um, I figured the first part, not the first part of it, right? Not just a God who wins, but a God who saves. I forget the first yeah. part of it. <laughs> I don't know if wins was the exact word. I'm not seeing my notes real quick here, but, but. It was the Lord is God, right? Because it was from the name Elijah. Yeah, that's right. Yes. And the Lord saves. From Ja. From yeah. Ja. That's right. Yep. So in your story and in any moment of our, any moment of lament, when we do that with God, we also, we also are, are opening up ourselves to recognize that our hope is found in, in, in the Lord's saving. God being yeah. a, one of, a, being a savior who will redeem. And so I think looking at, I think about like, um, you know, personal tragedies or, um, things that people go through in life. So the, the, the parent that loses a child, the parent who has a child not walking with God, the, the child who has a parent with a disease, um, any one of us who has a sibling or a friend dealing with a tragedy. Um, these are things that interrupt life. And sometimes they're things that are part of life. They don't just interrupt it. They just end up being part of our story. And those are things that um, I think in the church, when we are, if we're willing to, we, we probably all have a lot more of those things that just make us more like each other in our experiences than we realize. Here's where I'd call someone to think about that. If we find ourselves as Christians always answering the question or frequently answering the question, how are you with um, great? <laughs> you know, like great. We're like, great. Yeah. Or like living the dream. Living the dream or uh Better than I ought to be. Which is like, oh man, like, please hear me. I'm not mean to critique the way that sometimes, I mean, Greg, if we pass each other in the hallway and, and I say I'm doing great, um, it just might mean I don't have time to talk to you right now. <laughs> so that, that happens too, right? Let's give each yeah. other some grace for the times we don't have or want to open things up. But if we find ourselves doing that a lot, I think we're missing an opportunity to also recognize that we are living lives that all of us have things that are discouraging, frustrating, shaming us. And like, we feel ashamed as a result of something that's happening in our lives. Um, we're mad at God for a circumstance. Yeah. That's what I can think of right now. Like where, where, where am I mad at God for? And I'm not, and I'm just thinking like, I'm thinking like a friend of mine that like just has a circumstance in their life and I'm just mad at God for it. I'm like, why is that? Why is that person? have to continue to, to wrestle with, um, with that really hard thing, you know? And so, um, 
we all have that in our own lives. And so if we, here's what I'd say, we should see those as opportunities to lament with each other and to keep each other from falling into self-pity. And so if we lament before God and we lament before and with each other, ultimately, as brothers and sisters Christ, therefore before God, don't come to me because I have all your best answers. Come to me as a brother in Christ because I'm willing to listen to you, challenge you, and sit with you before God in it, right? That's how we should be with and for one another. When we do that and we start to accept our circumstances, I do think it opens us up more to seeing how God is working. Instead of maybe unconsciously building up um, uh, kind of a, a numbness or a, a callous toward God, yeah. believing, even unconsciously, if not consciously, that these things that are happening, um, they, they just, they're just part of life and they suck and we just have to wait till we're dead to get over them. Actually, I think God's doing a lot more with it than, than that. Right. And I think that, I mean, we see that in the narrative as well. Like, it's not insignificant that Elijah is in this. He's wallowing in self-pity. I'm the only one. Only I have served you. It's just me and all of yeah. Israel. Yeah. And then God, like, he solves his problem. Like, not by, like, you know, he doesn't kill Jezebel yet. He doesn't take all whales. Anyways, he solves his problem by, at the end of the narrative, giving him a friend. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he's reminding him he's not alone. Like, you know, he, he has Elisha here now with him. Here's a friend. It's yeah. kind of like, you know, it's God's answer to his cries of self-pity. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, let's be let's be friends for one another, brothers and sisters in Christ for each other. Um, and get into that in Bible studies this week. If that's a helpful way, even maybe the, the, the question of how does any one of us um, deal with lament, with sorrow, or self-pity? And how do we keep ourselves from falling into self-pity? If self-pity is looking inward at our own problems and spiraling down by looking at ourselves and our own problems, and if lament is actually being willing to remove ourselves from the wallowing of self-pity to go before God with the things that will discourage, anger us, make us discontent, make us bitter, that stuff is is actually true for every single person in the world at some point in their life, if not often. If that's the difference between self-pity and lament in our conversation right now, ask each other in Bible study how you distinguish between the two of them and what you do as a result when you're when you're experiencing them. Uh, that may be a helpful addition to, to a conversation you're already planning to have in study. So, hey, those are the questions for today. Thanks for joining us. Greg, thanks for being here. It's great to be here. Yeah. I'm sorry um, I'm not Matt, but... You don't have to apologize for not being Matt. It's true. Who could? It's a good thing. I, I, I mean, I, I'll lament that, and if we could lament that together after the end of this episode, that'd Let's be great. Be friends. Uh, let's be friends. All right. Um, thanks for joining today. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of the week, and uh, always send in questions for the B Side Podcast um, by Monday morning, so we can include them on the show. Uh, have a great Bible study gathering when you have it this week. We'll see you on Sunday. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Sermon B Side Podcast. For more resources, information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.